following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 20th, 2022, on the basis of Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So as some of you are aware, this past week, I turned the big 4 And at first, I thought everything was going to be fine, that everything was going to be the same, that I wouldn't feel any different. But then, within just a couple of days of turning 40, I suddenly felt completely out of touch. I felt as though I was stuck in some old, outdated, bygone era that no longer existed. But the reason I felt that way really had nothing to do with the fact that I had recently turned 40. Instead, it was because I was doing a little bit of reading about this. This is a a piece of art produced by an artist named Mike Winkleman, who also goes by the name Beeple. As you might be able to tell, this piece of art is actually a collage of 5,000 much smaller pieces of art. And what's interesting about it is that just over a year ago now, this piece of art sold in an online auction for $70 million. Perhaps what's even more interesting about that is that this piece of art is not painted on on some canvas or any other surface. It only exists in digital form. It is a JPEG. It is a picture which means that just about anyone in the world, including you, can view this piece of art any time that you want. What the person who paid $70 million paid for is what's known as an NFT, a non-fungible token. A non-fungible token is basically a digital piece of data that is stored in a digital ledger in what's known as a blockchain. Basically, it's a certificate of authenticity, sort of like the one you might have for for an old painting or a rare baseball card or an autographed football jersey. It's proof of ownership. And yet again, in this case, the painting that this person bought or the piece of art that this person bought is essentially also owned by everyone else in the world because, again, it only exists in digital form. So I got to tell you, I don't get it. (laughs) And if you don't get it, maybe you're out of touch just like I am. I'm not sure. But what is sort of important for us to get this morning is what it means when something is fungible. That word fungible is really just a sort of a fancy term for interchangeable. So money is a commodity that is very fungible. If I have a $20 bill and you have a 10 and two fives, Those are basically exactly the same value. We can trade those things back and forth, and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Money is a commodity that is very fungible. Well, it's very easy for us to think that it sort of works the same way when it comes to morality. That whatever religion a person might belong to, including if they don't really belong to any religion at all, There's sort of a a basic standard of conduct for how we ought to treat one another that we all ought to be able to agree upon. And to a certain extent, that's true. 
You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to believe in the Bible to know that it is wrong to lie or to cheat or to steal or to kill. In a lot of ways, we might be tempted to think that our human morality, the way that we treat one another, the idea of just being a decent human being to your fellow human beings is a commodity that is pretty much fungible. But in the words of Jesus today, Jesus is going to tell us just the opposite. Jesus is going to teach us about a normal and natural way that people of the world treat one another. And Jesus is going to tell his followers that he wants them to treat other people in the exact opposite way. Once again, Jesus is going to take our normal, natural way of viewing things and he is going to flip it upside down. Jesus is going to hold before us a standard of behavior that is completely unique. Unique, in fact, by definition, because it is inseparably tied to the standard of behavior God applies as he deals with us. In these verses, Jesus refers to that standard of behavior as grace. And as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 6 this morning, we're going to see that grace is a non-fungible commodity. Now, in the opening verses of this section, Jesus doesn't actually use the word grace, but he does very much define the concept of grace. Jesus teaches us that grace means treating someone in a way that is undeserved. So normally in human interactions, behavior is sort of exchanged back and forth almost as if it's money, almost as if it is currency. Someone does something good to you and you pay them back by doing good in return. Someone does something evil toward you and you pay them back or at least maybe think you have the right to pay them back with evil in return. Everyone gets exactly what they deserve. But according to Jesus' standard of morality, everyone gets what they don't deserve. Jesus wants us to do good. He wants us to be kind. He wants us to give generously without any expectation of being paid back. Jesus wants us to be mistreated, to be spoken of criti critically, to be hated, in fact, without any notion of paying people back. In Jesus' system of morality, people get what they don't deserve. Now, we might be tempted to think, well, what's so unique about that? That happens all the time in our world, doesn't it? Good friends forgive one another. Husbands and wives do the same thing. Parents provide and take care of their children even though they know their children are never going to pay them back for that. That kind of thing happens all the time. And yet, what makes this different is that Jesus isn't telling us to do good to our good friends or our spouses or our children. He's telling us to do good to our enemies, to people who harm us, not in spite of the fact that they don't want to, but because of the fact that they very much want to. Jesus wants us to give generously to people, not just who are unable to pay us back, but who wouldn't pay us back even if they could. If the way that we are going to treat people is truly undeserved, then it's sort of like a, a piece of art that only exists in digital format. It is available. It is accessible to anyone and everyone in the whole world. And yet notice how Jesus doesn't want our minds to immediately wander to anyone and everyone in the whole wide world. With Jesus, morality is always much more than a thought experiment. 
about how some nameless, faceless, undeserving people out there ought to be treated. With Jesus, our morality is always about much more than our social stances. Doing good to people who cannot pay us back is about much more than how many social safety nets or welfare programs we think there ought to be. Doing good to people who do evil is about much more than how quickly we think criminals ought to be let out of prison to get a second chance. Jesus wants us to treat this way real-life people who have done evil, not to someone else, but to us. Jesus wants us to act this way toward real-life people who are in need, not of something from someone else, but of something from us. Jesus uses eight imperatives in these verses, and not a single one of them is support or promote or be in favor of or vote for. He says, do, give, pray, love. Jesus wants us to put this behavior in real life action. Which is maybe why Jesus' summary statement of this very first section deserves a better name. Jesus wraps things up by saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And maybe when you hear those words, you think to yourself, I know, that's the golden rule. Well, gold is one of those commodities in our world that is very much fungible. If you have an ounce of gold in the form of a coin, and someone else has an ounce of gold in the form of some jewelry, those pretty much equal and add up to the same amount. You can exchange those, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. And in the very same way, there are all kinds of religions, even all kinds of secular societies who have their own version of this so-called golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But what's interesting is that as you look at these versions of the golden rule that have existed in places like ancient Egypt or Greece or Rome, versions that even existed long before Jesus ever came around, the entire purpose of that so-called golden rule is to treat morality like it's some kind of currency that people can exchange. You should do unto others what you want them to do unto you because you don't want to be the one person in society who is treating people unfairly. In fact, you want to do unto others what you would have them do unto you in the hopes that maybe they would actually do it. If we all do this, then everyone is getting exactly what they deserve. Well, Jesus uses almost the exact same words, but for a completely different purpose. Again, he, he flips it upside down. Jesus wants us to act this way, to do unto others as we would want them to do unto us, regardless of the fact that, of whether or not they're actually going to do it. Jesus says to his followers, you want to be the one person in society who is treating other people unfairly. Not, of course, for your benefit, but for theirs. This standard of morality that Jesus describes in these verses is a commodity that's not fungible. You can't just exchange it for any other standard of morality. It is truly unique and one of a kind. And for that matter, you wouldn't even want to try to exchange it for something else if you could. After defining exactly what grace means in the opening 
verses of this section, Jesus goes on to provide some motivation and some incentive for us to put this standard of behavior called grace into practice. And that incentive, that motivation, comes in the form of, first of all, a tremendous opportunity, and second of all, a very serious warning. So Jesus says, imagine if for a moment you treated other people the way that everyone else in the world treats people. Everyone gets what they deserve. Jesus says, where is the credit in that? Now here's where Jesus actually uses the word grace. More literally, Jesus is saying, where is the grace in that? We might even picture it this way. It's as if grace is this very unique, unmistakable spice that someone might use as an ingredient for food. If we treat people according to what they deserve, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, well, that's bland. That's dull. That's boring. That's what everyone else in the world does. But if we apply even just a pinch of grace, it's going to stand out. People are going to notice. And specifically, what they are going to notice, according to Jesus, is that we are children of God, that he is our father. The only possible way a person can act this way towards someone else is if they belong to someone who treats them exactly the same way. God of pure grace. And so when we apply even just a, a pinch of grace in our relationships and in our interactions with other people, Jesus is saying it will stand out. People will notice. People will know, first of all, that you are a child of God. And second of all, they will get a taste of what your Father in heaven is really like. What a tremendous opportunity. But then follows the serious warning. If the grace that we apply in our relationship with others is a reaction to the grace that God first shows to us, then also the grace that we apply in our relationship with others is a reflection of how we view our relationship with God. It's very easy, of course, for us to want to have it both ways. We want God to apply his grace very liberally, very freely as he deals with us, but then we often think we have the right to be very stingy in the grace that we apply to others. Jesus says it doesn't work like that. You can't apply one standard to yourself and then a different standard to someone else. You can't say to someone, hey, tell you what, let's have a race today and let's make it a 1600. But for you, you're gonna run in meters. Meanwhile, I'm going to run in inches. Doesn't work that way. Or hey, let's have a Christmas gift exchange and the spending limit is 50. But in terms of what you're going to spend on me, that means $50. In terms of what I'm going to spend on you, that means the number of pieces of lint that I can dig out of my pocket. It doesn't work both ways. Jesus gives us a very strong warning. And in fact, as we think about that warning, it probably should make all of us a little bit uneasy. We can probably think of times, in fact, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort where we have been very kind and very friendly to new people that we meet because we know that they're well off, we know that they're well connected, and our friendship with them will definitely be a benefit to us. Meanwhile, finding it so easy to sort of ignore and sort of neglect those people whose friendship we know isn't going to benefit us one bit. We can probably think of all kinds of examples where we've ignored the very real needs of the real people around us 
All the while, our official position being that we're in favor of helping the needy. We can maybe even think of examples where we sort of railed against our so-called cancel culture. Meanwhile, we're holding a grudge that goes back decades. We need to take Jesus' warning very, very seriously. We need to take it to heart. And in fact, that's why it's so important and so wonderful that that warning is also wrapped around a promise. Yes, it is true that the grace that we apply to others is a, a reflection of the way that we view our relationship with God, but it is not as though the grace that we apply to others somehow merits the grace that we get from God, as if this exchange, again, is sort of a reciprocal thing. We show grace to others and God shows grace to us. No, Jesus says that's not how it works. Where does our grace come from? Well, if grace is sort of like this very unique, unmistakable spice, Jesus says, picture a, a jar that's completely empty, bone dry. But then that spice is, is poured into it so that it looks full. But then you, you kind of press it down so that there's a little bit more room and then more is poured in. And then you kind of shake it a little bit so that it further settles, even more room, even more is poured in. And in fact, so much is poured in that eventually it is spilling over and flowing into the lives of the people around us. Where does our grace come from? It comes from a God whose grace never runs out. No matter how much grace we might apply in our relationships to others, we can never outgrace God. No matter how little grace we might apply in our relationships to others, we can never ungrace God. Which is truly remarkable when you think about how expensive, how costly God's grace is. That was another thing that I, I learned this week about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, that was a little bit surprising to me. In fact, it's a reason why NFTs have, have kind of come under some criticism. So it turns out that in order to mint one of these non-fungible tokens, in, order, in other words, in order to generate this digital data that is stored on the digital ledger known as a blockchain, evidently, it takes up a huge amount of energy. In other words, NFTs leave a massive carbon footprint. Who'd have known? Well, in the very same way, God is the only originator, the only source of grace. There's only one place where this commodity is generated, and it is in the halls of his heavenly mint. And even though that grace is absolutely free for us, it is immeasurably costly for him. It cost him the life of his own dear son. And yet because God was willing to pay that price, that's your guarantee that you will never run out of God's grace. Even if it might seem that you have spent down all of God's grace with all of your sinning, there's always more where that came from even if you are burdened with the thought of what you deserve from God, that is your guarantee that God will, will always treat you in a way that you don't deserve. If it ever seems as though someone else in your life is sort of sapping all of the grace that you might have, God always has enough to fill you back up. Yes, it is non 
fungible. You can't exchange it for any other commodity, any other standard of behavior that exists. And yet, because God secured that grace at the cost of his own dear son, you can be certain that God's grace will never run out. Amen.